now the NYPD alone has automatic license plate readers, has what are, what are so-called stingrays, which basically simulate cell towers and collect cell phone data. Uh, they have facial recognition. Um, you know, they have this shot spotter system, which uses all these microphones to supposedly isolate the sound of gunshots around the city. And so, you know, I just I think that the average New Yorker just doesn't necessarily comprehend the level to which these things have expanded, in part because even though they keep getting broader and broader, they're also, like, relatively in- invisible. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Salgado. New Yorkers walking down the street are likely unaware that they're being surveilled. It's part of the trade-off that we've made as a society, a persistent monitoring in exchange for a sense of security and convenience. The shift has been accelerated by the rising technologies that are increasingly sophisticated. The NYPD in particular has a small arsenal of powerful surveillance tools. Tools that, until the city council passed the Public Oversight of Surveillance Technology Act in 2020, it could purchase and deploy in total secrecy. And while these technologies might help the police more quickly identify suspects of violent crimes, they're a double-edged sword. In fact, the NYPD has already used this type of technology to identify marchers in Black Lives Matter protests, and that information could end up anywhere, with state police, the FBI, even ICE. Ultimately, New Yorkers will have to decide for themselves the appropriate balance of risk, convenience, and liberty. Today, I'm talking to politics journalist Felipe de Laos about what he found during his reporting on this story. Felipe has written investigative articles and essays for outlets like The New Republic, The Washington Post, The Intercept, The Daily Beast, and The Nation. Before we begin, a quick message. Did you know that Epicenter members are invited to exclusive events and tours across New York City? Earlier this month, we hosted a behind-the-scenes tour of the Queen's Night Market. Here's what member Catherine Tam had to say about the experience. I ended up experiencing community in a whole new way. And I say that because, you know, my sister told me recently how she and her friends, they had tried to uh, visit the Queen's Night Market, but they weren't able to do so because the lineups were so long. But she, and until recently myself, uh, never knew why that was the case other than that it was so popular. So by attending that behind the scenes tour with other members and also with the market's founder, we found out how popular that market has been since the beginning and how when my sister and her friends tried to visit the market, it turns out that was during the time when the lineups were so long that it ended up stretching nearly a mile all the way into the nearest subway station. And as the the founder told us, you know, uh, he nearly got in trouble with the authorities over that. But it's that type of, you know, neighborhood nuance. That's how you find out about, you know, what makes communities really tick and why this market and so many other, you know, events and treasures in the city continu- continue to be popular to this day. Now, back to the show. Here's my conversation with Felipe. All right. Um, so I guess just starting off, would you just give me a little bit more background on surveillance when has it taken off yeah you know i just think like people at large don't understand the level to which you know 
like local police agencies, and especially one as large and well as, as large and as well funded as the NYPD, you know, have developed very sophisticated surveillance capabilities over the last twenty years or so to the point where, you know, it's like now the NYPD alone has automatic license plate readers, has what are, what are so called stingrays, which basically simulate cell towers and collect, you know, mass collect cell phone data. Uh, they have facial recognition. Um, you know, they have this shot spotter system, which uses all these microphones to supposedly isolate the sound of gunshots around the city. Uh, and, you know, are now testing these, these so-called gun scanners, right? Which, you know, people walk through and supposedly like indicate whether a person is carrying a, a weapon of some kind, right? Um, and so, you know, I just, I think that the average New Yorker just doesn't necessarily comprehend or, you know, is aware of the level to which these things have expanded in part because even though they keep getting broader and broader, they're also like relatively in, invisible in the sense that if there was a cop, you know, sitting like on your street corner and like recording the license plate of, of every car that went by, you would definitely notice, right? And then people might be upset about that. Whereas if the same thing is happening automatically with a camera that people can't, don't really see, then, you know, people are much less likely to, you know, to have an issue with it. So in general, right, there's been this expansion and a lot of it has been done in secret. You know, the NYPD for a long time made contracts and then entered into, you know, agreements to have these technologies deployed without even really telling anybody. I mean, not even the city council. And that's why there was this uh, bill that passed two or three years ago. I'm not misremembering exactly when it was, but that now forces them to kind of give detail on and justify any kind of new technologies like this that they're, that they're purchasing. And I guess what is the ultimate goal of them having all this technology? Like, why have it? The NYPD, right? I mean, any agency wants to have more power. I, you know, I think it's like the very, very basic answer, right? And then if they think that it's going to make their jobs easier, like, sure, you know, from, from, from their perspective, it's like, why not, right? Like, we have more capability to observe people, like, more capability to, um, you know, instantly find anyone around the city at any time, right? You know, why wouldn't we want these things? Because it'll help us, you know, solve crime, right? Which is, which is kind of the point. Like, I mean, it's the reason that all these things have been put in place, the rationale, all these spends, right? It's like it's going to help us solve crime. It's going to reduce crime, which is something that people are worried about right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I guess there are sort of layers to this, right? One of which is the kind of overarching conversation about security versus privacy, right? So, yes, like in theory, I mean, you can keep upping security and lowering privacy indefinitely to the point where, like, you know, you could have a system like China has rolled out where, you know, you can't. You can't move around like the city, the various cities already have their, these really draconian systems. And it's impossible to go anywhere without, you know, your movements being recorded and your financial history being scrutinized and AI, you know, looking at your contacts and all this stuff. And so, you know, sure, that might reduce crime, right? But I, I would argue, right, most New Yorkers feel like they wouldn't want to live in a society like that. So, you know, there is this philosophical question. Then there's also a practical question, which is, does this actually reduce crime and make us safer? And I mean, like, NYPD clearance rates, i.e. the the amount to which, you know, the the number, uh, the percentage of crimes that they're solving has just gone down, to be honest with you, you know, especially, like, 
serious crime like murder and things of that nature. Um, and there's just, I don't, in my, in my view, there just hasn't been that much evidence that these technologies, despite really increasing their capabilities, have actually done a lot to reduce crime. And, and in some cases, in fact, they seem to actually cause more conflict, like the shot spotter, right? If people have complained that NYPD will just constantly respond to fireworks, like guns drawn, because they think that there's there's gunfire, or, you know, if, if we start having these gun scanners in the subways, right, they, they necessarily will have some false positives. And so you'll have situations where, you know, people will, will probably be, like, violently arrested because they happen to have a laptop in their, you know, in their bag. And that all, you know, ends up reducing public trust in, in the police as well and, and, you know, increasing friction and sort of all these other things that earlier iterations of heavy-handed policing like stop and frisk have also contributed to. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about a little bit more about surveillance in the subway? Yeah, so, I mean, the subways already have these, you know, this, these vast networks of surveillance cameras. Um, in fact, I mean, they kind of famously didn't work when the, the, the recent subway shooting was taking place with the guy with the smoke bombs and everything. So so we have this whole system, this very expensive system. It, you know, it doesn't even work all the time. But, you know, in addition to that, you know, there, there are the cameras and there are... You know, the, the effort now, I mean, they, they used to have, you know, these, these kind of tables set up, um, you know, next to entrances where police will sometimes ask to see people's, uh, the content of people's bags and stuff. So what, what is being considered now is a sort of policy of, of putting in place these scanners, right? The mainly developed by this company called Evolve that uh, basically there, it's like a metal detector, but instead of you know, just being a standard up and down magnetometer that says, yes, there is metal or no, there isn't metal. Like it scans your body, your frame and looks, you know, it uses this kind of AI thing to try to determine whether specifically whether you have on your person like a firearm or a knife because it tries to identify, you know, the actual components of those things like on your person, right? Or in your backpack or whatever. The issue, of course, is that they have been known to have a lot of false positives, right? So, for example, like certain types of laptops or even iPads or like an umbrella can trigger them, you know, because they'll have like, for example, a tube or something that the, the thing will mistake for the barrel of a gun. Now, you can tweak the settings, right? So you can make it less sensitive so that that stops happening. The problem with that is then you get false negatives. So then if you lower the sensitivity too much, then it, it will stop detecting guns also. Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you can't really have it both ways. So I think that's one of the main concerns people have raised. Also, I think there just should be more public conversation about whether people want these things and whether people think they will be useful before they start getting deployed. And the NYPD has run a few so-called pilot programs, including one that had one of these scanners set up in front of City Hall for about a week, I think last month or the month before. And it's like we haven't really seen the results of these Right. I've asked for them. They haven't been given to me. I foiled for some type of results for the city hall pilot to NYPD directly, the Freedom of Information request, and they they denied that request because I think it's they're sort of claiming that it's like a, a investigatory tool or something, right? Which I think is just ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Mainly, I think you know I understand that my perspective, you know, I am particularly skeptical of these technologies. However. In any case, like even for people who might be amenable to them, we just need to have more of a public dialogue about things because 
the way it's worked so far is like the MWAPD will basically roll something out and then it then will have like controversies and conversations about it, right? Efforts already in place. It just doesn't strike me as the best way to go about developing public policy. What do you think people think about it? Because I know a lot of New Yorkers at this point just want something to be done about subway safety in general. I mean, certainly the polls at this point show that like crime is one of those major concerns. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's certainly valid. People are afraid of like incidents like those that get reported on a lot. However, I mean, like, you know, I've seen some people say things like, oh, it's like we're back in the 90s. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, if you look at the statistics, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere near the, the kind of crime rates that there, you know, that were the norm. You know, forget about the 90s, even into like the mid 2000s. Right. We're kind of like not even there. And so, yes, there have been upticks in crime in the last couple of years. But, you know, I think people are, are kind of getting like the flip, the flames are being fanned in a way that's a little bit irresponsible. But of course, you know, still people, people feel the way they feel. And so I think people are, are generally amenable to these things right now. But I would basically urge them to think about the wisdom of a silver bullet. Right. I mean, when, you know, the same things that were said about the scanners or are being said about the scanners were already said about shot spotter and like have they achieved what they were supposed to achieve. I think people should consider that. And also, you know, it's easy to get into this kind of crime frenzy, but like last time that that really happened was sort of the tough on crime nineties where we got, you know, and not in New York, but in other states, you know, like three strikes and, and, you know, the crack and cocaine disparities and car sensing guidelines and all these things that I think most people these days openly acknowledge were, counterproductive and, and hurt a lot of people really instead of, of making the situation necessarily a lot better. So I would kind of just ask people to keep that in mind. To learn more about the rise of surveillance in New York City, read Felipe's full story at epicenter-nyc.com. You can also find the link in our show notes. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.